Hi everyone, this is Dave Newbert, Marketing Director for Eagle Eye Power Solutions, and welcome to our podcast, DC Power Hour, the show where we will discuss everything related to, you guessed it, critical DC power solutions. So charge up, power on, or do whatever it takes to get yourself excited for the episode of DC Power Hour. Welcome back everyone to another episode of DC Power Hour. We are joined by some Eagle Eye Power Solutions sales team members here today and our one half of the battery blarney duo of Alan Byrne. George is, is off at a, a training week that some of these guys will be heading to as well down at our facility in Green Valley, Missouri. But we're, we're happy to have these guys joining us today. We've got Brian Jerkovitz, who is our new vice president of sales. We've got Luke Walder who has been with Eagle Eye since pretty much the beginning, who is our kind of strategic accounts manager. So he's handling some of our, our key accounts throughout the, throughout the nation. And then we've got Andrew, who is kind of out in the West Coast doing some, some outside sales, visiting customers out in, in Texas and the Western region of the country. So welcome, welcome guys. Thanks for joining the show. And, and Alan, as always, Thanks for being here as well. Okay. So just jumping into it, I kind of wanted to get a feel for what is the utility market landscape looking like so far halfway through 2023 here, you know, look to Alan to maybe provide, provide some questions too, as to kind of where the industry is, has come from in the past and kind of where it's heading. And I thought what better way to kind of find out what's the what's the pulse of the industry these days than by by talking to Brian, Luke, and Andrew. So who wants to kick it off? Maybe, maybe Luke, what are you seeing out there today? And then we'll just kind of go around and and see what are the what are those customer issues that that keeps, kind of keep surfacing and, and what are you hearing from customers as to what are their biggest issues as they're sort of heading into the into the future here in the utility market space. Yeah, thanks, Dave. I guess if I was to give you kind of my assessment, I'd say when I first started, many utilities were just kind of doing the portable testing with internal resistance and specific gravity. Watched that kind of evolve over the years and now really feel like it's kind of most of the utilities are really either seriously looking at it and already have made a step to go with permanent 24-7 monitoring. Our vigilant with a one-click NERC report is really kind of the gold standard of what we're hearing and guys really appreciate they like the software, the usability and the ability to just kind of know that they're meeting the compliance and, you know, kind of eliminating some of those truck roles and just trying to better understand how to interpret all the data. So there's a lot of growing kind of within the utility market. You know, at first it was, Hey, we got monitoring, but then they quickly realized, well, we need to now make sure we're monitoring or, or who's monitoring and looking at the monitor itself. So it's kind of taken a step back where we really recognize there's a lot of education and support that we can have work with the customer after the installation. So that meeting the compliance, but also then interpreting and understanding the data and, and getting most value out of it is what kind of we're seeing the evolution and how this is all evolving. Thanks, Luke. How about you, Andrew, seeing kind of the same things from, from your customers? Yeah, I mean, across the industry, a lot of customers are, are grappling, especially just to be specific, transmission and distribution clients. A lot of these folks are dealing 
in grappling with the onboarding of TPL001-5. So that's, that's impacting a lot of businesses and, and organizations on how they're going to move forward with being compliant for that. It's brought a lot of new customers kind of to the forefront for our company in general. It's been trending that direction to move away from a manual data collector, you know, that a technician has to go out in the field and manually connect with all those batteries to an automated data collector. So that, that's growing exponentially. I think a lot of them are also starting to look at and, and we're getting uh, onboarded with a lot more on the renewable side of the business. As that becomes a much more mainstream form of power generation, getting monitors out in the field there, bringing them on into the grid. So it's, it's a changing time right now, but that's we're seeing quite a bit from new opportunities from different compliances and different technologies growing into the market. And and Brian, since you're kind of new to the team and new to the to the market, what's what are the things that have jumped out at you as you've sort of been taking it all in and, and learning what the customers are are really most interested in in this market? Yeah, it's it, you know it's hard for me to compare to what the utility industry might have been, you know a year ago or even 10 years ago, because I just don't have that breadth of experience. But one of the things, so my background has been primarily in the plumbing segment. And I, I did touch utilities a little bit when it came to municipalities. And the thing that I've definitely noticed about the utility industry so far from, from the energy side is that it, kind of what Luke and Andrew are, are already touched on, it's sensors, it's asset connectivity. Those are probably like, like the big things that I'm catching. So if you look at our product line and kind of what we're doing with battery monitoring, I mean, we're trying to solve pain points there in terms of getting people out in the field and trying to make sure that utilities are very efficient the way that they're managing their fleet. So that's something that I've noticed that is, I think, probably true of, of any industry right now is people want to become more efficient. And I, they're putting sensors on everything. They're putting sensors on you know, batteries. They're putting sensors on transmission lines, monitoring weather conditions and height of the transmission line off, off the floor to make sure you don't have a down power line. And that was a very similar thing that I saw in the plumbing industry too, just how they're utilizing sensors. So it's a growing technology. It doesn't surprise me, but that's definitely stood out to me the most so far is just how quickly things are advancing in that realm. So two things happening within the utility industry, two major things, neither of them are good. Well, they're good as far as we're concerned, but Distribution, generation and distribution. On the generation side, as you know, the country's becoming greenwashed. Uh, I use that term not negatively, but you know, some of them is necessary, but they're closing down power plants and they haven't got the, the renewable generation up to speed. So they can't really fill that, you know, that hole they've dug themselves. So here we are, we're heard the term electrification you know everything is going electric i don't know but maryland here we can't even use gas stoves anymore i don't think but a new build out but anyway so there's a greater demand for generation and it's not there so they're looking for other things to fill in the gap and one of those is energy storage on the distribution side we have another problem and that's i'll just use electric vehicles as an example they want so many electric vehicles on the streets by whatever date, you, whatever state you choose, whatever date you choose. But anyway, the distribution is not there to support that. So both things add up to 
black ice and brown ice, which we love because you know, we can provide the, the backup or we can provide the other, some other solutions. You mentioned monitoring already. So things are not going to improve within the next five, 10 years. There's a lot of money going to be thrown at the distribution aspect. The generation aspect is more political in my mind. But you know, if you're going to have to charge your electric vehicle at home or even at a workspace, you know, you've got to beef up that distribution. So that's not happening, or it's happening very, very slowly. So both are a great opportunity for us to sell battery backup systems, to sell UPS systems even. We haven't really looked at that. You know, we look at selling the utilities, monitoring and battery backup systems, DC backup systems. But now the utilities have got so involved with other loads they have to support that are AC powered. So they're putting in UPSs. So we've got to look at that market potential as well. So anyway, without getting long-winded, I can think most of you know where I'm coming from. And if you were at BATCON, I know you all were, so you might've heard the rumblings among our utility friends. So, and it's only gonna, the government's looking at them big time through FERC and NERC, and they're gonna push those regulations. And they are. So some utilities are only getting, getting to know that, so that's PRC005, TPL. But the other thing is that there's other companies offer it, but we don't. We're putting all those monitors out there. Okay, but do we do have people qualified to interpret those monitors? You know, I'm glad George is not on the call because he'd take up another 10 minutes here. So, but, you know, should we be looking at that as well? Being able to say to them, okay, we'll supply your monitor, but hey, we'll monitor it for you, we'll interpret it. So I don't know if that's a direction we thought about going down the road. It's just a, it's just a suggestion. I know our, our friends at uh, one of the other monitoring companies, BTEC, who kind of surprised me that they weren't at BATCOM. But anyway, they do offer that service. So anyway, I'll shut up and let somebody else run down. <laughs> now is really... Yeah. Go ahead, Andrew. Just to push back a little bit on some of the comments from, from Alan there. What he's talking about that, that are significant changes, and they've been coming for over a decade, is we're moving a lot from coal and a lot from natural gas. And natural gas kind of is kind of the holdover fuel that they've been looking at for a long time, and that is the regulators, as kind of this, this perfect way to get us to flow renewables. The problem that's happening on on the actual grid is that renewables right now don't have a consistency to them and not a consistency on the low end, sometimes a consistency on the high end, right? The Columbia River Gorge and the entire Pacific Northwest for years, I mean, for all of, of really the grid and operation has been powered by hydro. About 95% of their power in that region comes from hydro dams. That power is actually still there. And what they've done is added in, oh, I don't know, in the ballpark of 50 to 60 wind farms out there, huge numbers. I mean, I think over 2,500 turbines alone in Oregon. And, and what that's done is on very, very high windy days is it's just an influx onto the grid that all of these utilities are having to manage, right? And what happens is when you have too much electricity, not enough demand and nowhere to put it, 
they, they get put into a really big bind because those lines will sag. They will have to pop breakers and different things like that. It just causes havoc. Those wind farms and a lot of renewables are actually being owned by private entities who have a mandate to, and all their subsidies are pushed by keeping those things on and generating as much electricity as they possibly can. It is not their intention or really the care of them to the grid. It's not their job. That is the regulators, for example, like Bonneville Power Administration to take the power and evenly distribute it. So I think what we're seeing is a lot of these classic utility companies having to really deal with an influx of, of power generation coming from a lot of different sources throughout the grid and, and how to really balance that and, and kind of their changing role in what will be the, the electrical grid into the future. A lot of these utilities are primarily going to be regulated, I'm thinking, to a transmission and lines company more than anything else, while a lot of the generation is coming from external sources. So I don't necessarily believe that there's been a, a whitewashing. I think we have pushed to that. We probably, to Alan's defense, moved a little too fast off of coal in a lot of people's eyes because coal today can be, you know, within five minutes up to 50% power. It, you know, it takes a natural gen facility about 10 and a nuclear facility over 24 hours. So I think when it comes to being able to balance the grid, they're a really good source. So yeah, I, I just don't disagree with Andrew. You know, we're talking about peaks and valleys here, but how can we as Eagle Eye capitalize on that? Yeah, the, the biggest thing that we've really started to focus on at this distribution and substation level is turning more into a full full turnkey service company and being able to help companies, one, get intelligent data from their backup power systems, looking at newer technologies that will be out there in, in, in the event of higher storage that's going to be coming down for a lot of utility companies. They're already looking at, hey, how can we store and, and have new ways to put this energy that's going coming onto the grid. How can we intelligently uh, continue to improve all these different substations? A lot of that is with automation and having that data come in. So we've really done a lot of that with our with our clients over the past couple of years and continue to grow as a company towards that market space. Yeah, I'll comment, I'll comment here too. Uh, to go back to a lot of these utilities that are now kind of switching over to the renewables. There's been a lot of challenges kind of there of, of getting it to produce efficiently. And then there's also, I was just talking to a, a customer last week and they said their transformers are failing and they're having a really hard time finding parts or they're, they're getting refurbished transformers, but it's still 50 plus weeks lead time. So kind of there's some challenges there, but as these utilities move into the renewables, you know, they're at a lot of remote locations are hard to reach wind farms on mountaintops or solar areas. And they're not manned like the traditional line and power and coal plants. So again, there's their challenge there with having manpower there or you know making sure that they're still compliant because these sites still are required by NERC to be compatible and, and showing it. So the remote locations have been challenging to say the least, but I think there again, that's where we're coming in and creating a great value, showing them our easy reports and how they can just connect. You know, they obviously need to get communication to those sites, but most of them are investing in that on the front end. So there's a lot of areas where we can add value there too. 
the thing is, Luke, that a lot of these sites or a lot of these companies uh, are not classified as regulated utilities. And therefore, a lot of them don't come under NERC or FERC. So even, even then, as you say to them, and I've talked to some people, I said, well, you know, don't you think it would be good, good policy to, even though you're not forced to comply with NERC, but to go down that path or comply with IEEE? And, and I kind of get, you know, shaking the heads and people saying, well, it's, it's all down to money. So, so I don't know what your thoughts are there. Yeah, I guess I would, I would say for the most part, all, all these, all the solar, I, I can think of five, six different big utilities that on the renewable side that I'm working with right now, and they very much are wanting to move into full monitoring, especially because of just the locations and, and the difficulties there of, of manning them. And I guess that brings us all the way back to the utility in general, just, there's just been a lot of retirement and changing. So a lot of the knowledge and the guys the, that had the expertise and battery understandings. Now they're, they're switching it over to a young engineer that is really looking for a lot of insight. We're finding, you know, even maybe not the best battery for their lo location or not taking into consideration temperature and things like that. So there's a lot of areas where they're asking a lot of questions once we get on site or we're learning that, you know, they want some expertise or guidance there or best practices. And then that's not even talking about like the TPL code and redundancies of chargers and things like that. So there's a lot of areas where we're able to just be a great resource for the customer and kind of show them a value add of not only meeting the compliance, but you know how to reduce the cost and, and kind of increase that reliability at the same time. So looking forward to continuing to work with the utility market as it transitions into the renewables. And there's just a lot of areas of, of improvement. And, and then you get into the whole TPL or the SIP regulations too. And we've done a ton of work on that, making sure that our equipment is able and recognized and compliant with the utilities from the security side of things. Cause that's also been a real big sticking point where guys have, have had to show that whatever they're bringing into their systems or monitoring that it's SIP compliant. So we've done a lot of work there too, behind the scenes. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, we've got to do a lot of handholding. And I think that's where we can capitalize on things. There's a lot of companies out there just want to install them and leave it, you know, to the up to the customer, but years and years ago, when I worked for a company called System Engineering International, we come up with the slogan, your partner in power. And people really loved us because they knew we could not only supply the equipment, but we could install it. We could maintain it. We could fault find over the phone. We even developed a system where, you know, we had somebody available 24 hours a day to answer the phone, just to hold somebody's hand. So, I believe you're you're 100 right there. Yeah, and you you touched on something earlier, Alan, when just talking about analyzing the their data. And I think that's that's where Eagle Eyes really evolved. You know, from when I started, you know, we were basically supplying portable equipment, and we didn't have a service team. You know, now not only do we have the service side, but we're we have you know great minds like yourself and George and guys that know how to look at the data and interpret it and tell them what they're really seeing. And then we have our service team that we can offer and get out in the field and, and answer questions and show best practices. So I think that's really where Eagle Eyes evolved is we're really kind of a partner for these guys where we're able to not only just give them the product and the hardware and say you're meeting the compliance, but are you doing it efficiently in the best way? And you know, we just actually had a meeting last week talking about the proper way of ventilating 
ventilating the rooms and making sure they're safe from hydrogen and how, how efficient you can do that. And there's different options, but making sure that it's set up the right way. So we're touching everything in that battery room, kind of looking at areas of adding value and, and making sure that the customer understands the maybe the best way to do it, not just the correct way, but looking at it and why there's pros and cons to each. But if you talk that over and, and give them more of the education side of things, and I think everyone appreciates and finds the value in it. So we're doing that a lot with our customers. I mean, that's why I switched my complete role and just strategic accounts kind of working with the customer at a more intimate level, trying to make sure that they're comfortable and understanding what they're doing and why. That's really what we're focused on is adding more value and bringing it back to the, to the customer. Yeah, I think that, that, that was a good example, Luke, about the, the fine mess you got me into last week with the hydrogen extraction. I didn't know I was an expert in fans, but according to somebody up there, I am. So anyway, the, uh, that's a typical example of, of hand-holding. We got to show them that we are the experts. We are the people. You know, we're not just selling you a bundle of goods here. We're selling you your partner in power. You're selling, we're selling you a complete nine yards. Yeah, and I, and I think as long as we continue to do that and get better at that, which, which we are, that allows us to touch additional sites that might not be mandated by NERC too, because now it's not just a compliance aspect as far as how we go to market. We're actually providing a value and a service so we can get to some of these other locations or other applications, and we're seeing some of that already. So it's just interesting seeing it all kind of develop here. You talked about some of the electric you know, vehicle mandates and, and stuff like that. And this is more about a question. I'm not sure if anybody has the answer to this, but I saw California, I think it was 2035, they have to have all, I think it, there's, it's gotta be 100% reduced down to electric vehicle only by 2035. And one of the things that I heard about the renewables grid is that the renewable sites don't always translate to where power demand is either. So it's like, you know, you might have a ton of electric vehicles and high demand surges in LA or San Diego, but that's not where the renewable sites are. And getting that power to those areas can also be a problem too. Is that, have, are you familiar with that at all? Very. And that's what I meant by distribution. You know, you, you have to get the, it's one thing generating power through wind turbines up in the California mountains or even, you know, this restricted hydropower from the Hoover Dam. But it's another thing getting it down to downtown LA. So yeah. that, 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 that is a major, that is a major problem. And as to the electric vehicles being adopted by 1935, I don't think that's going to happen. Some countries, including Germany and France, are backing off that. So, but anyway, you're right, Brian. That is a problem. And that's what I meant by having to beef up the distribution. And the ideal thing would be to have a renewable generation plant right next door to downtown, whatever, New York or LA or San Francisco or wherever. But you, you, you can't put a field of solar panels or, you know, the, 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 the Windy City probably okay for some turbines out, out there in the lake. But, uh, you know, that's, that's a real problem. And that's why the government's throwing money at it. Yeah. We, we, we want some of that money. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. So with all of those points that you guys are discussing, as you are approaching customers, what, what are their sticking points? Is it reliability? Are we, are we talking about grid reliability during this age of electrification? 
and, and aging power grid, or are they looking more for is, is cost? I mean, obviously cost is a concern, but is that take a backseat to reliability? And then of course there's compliance and those regular regulatory agencies like FERC and NERC and, and then NERC coming out with, with TPL, are those the, the primary hot buttons right now? Maybe starting with you, Andrew, is there you, you kind of mentioned TPL is is kind of the hot topic right now. Does that seem to be the biggest question you get as you go to customers, even as it relates to like reliability and, and cost? Let me pass this off to Luke first. Okay. So some of the, I guess I would first kind of bring it back to even what the utilities are saying to me is losing their technicians and and the knowledgeable technicians. So that that's kind of been a major sticking point. Years ago, it was like, hey, we're not bringing in battery monitoring because our union would never allow that. There, Those guys have those jobs protected. And that's something that we need to be very mindful of. I really feel like that's kind of come full circle. Now you're talking to these same utilities with util- with the union and they're saying, oh man, if you guys had this battery monitoring and I could come and click a one-click NERC report, instead of having to spend days doing omic testing, that would be great. So that's kind of been a changing of kind of the voice of the utility themselves. I think they're realizing that the need to be compliant, but not having to use all the manpower up at a specific facility, doing a, a test that can be cumbersome and take days to do. But then the next thing is not only doing those tests, they've now learned a lot about kind of the consistency of the measurement. You know, when you're doing a precision omic test, and trying to read a battery, not only do you need to use the same equipment, but you almost need the same person to be doing it because they found that they're just not repeatable. One guy might've been doing a test for 10 years and he retires, the new guy starts doing it and they see totally different readings because they weren't trained to pro- do it the exact same way. So that repeatability in another value of why battery monitoring is becoming so popular is because it's hardwired on, you're seeing the same readings every day, but now you, that opens up another can of worms. If a guy did, let's say two tests and he did it in the spring and fall, he might've only saw like a certain temperature range, but now you put 24 seven monitoring on and you see these cold climate changes in the winter and you see these hot spikes in the summer and they have a whole lot more data points to look at and to take into consideration. And then it explains a little more of the history of, wow, that battery that we thought was healthy because of our two readings that were in October and April, Really, we didn't see this where the battery was getting cooked for two months in July and August. So I think they're finding now, once they see more data, that they're just getting more informed. But then it's how do you kind of take that in and and interpret what you should be doing? Is there a different battery that'd be more suitable for that application to extend the life or, you know, be planning for a failure sooner? So there's a lot of exposure and learning through the process, but really I'm focusing more on what I hear is kind of the utility now meeting the compliance and everything like that. Yeah, we can, we can spend a whole nother podcast talking about how, how the customer is challenged with some of those things and, 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 you know, getting false alarms or how they manage the alarms. I would suggest that would be another great talking point because there's a lot of areas where we've seen and offer some insight on how to best set set up their systems, but to stay and focus on this, podcast, I, I think that would be something else that we want to talk about and explore in greater detail. Yeah, and I've been, I've been trying to get out on the, on the road as much as possible. And I got to say, I, I really appreciate 
Luke and Andrew allowing me to kind of piggyback and join a lot of sales calls so far. And I think, you know, when you look at compliance, cost, grid reliability, I think determining what's most important really depends who you're talking to at the utility. You know, from a compliance standpoint, I think that that, you know, opens up the door for companies like us oftentimes because they need education on how to be compliant. They need products to make them compliant. But as you start, you know, talking about why these compliance codes are, are there in the first place, it's ultimately all ties back to grid reliability. So it's just, it's, it's all intertwined. It's hard to say which one is most important. It just depends who you're talking to within the, within the organization. That's been my experience. The message we've got to get across, I think, is, you know, you're going to have power problems. Mm-hmm. You're going to have blackouts. You're going to have burnouts. You need to protect yourself more. And I, I noticed that on a, another point, I, I noticed that a lot of our competitors, they, they come out with marketing stuff like says NERC compliant or IEEE compliant, which many really means nothing. And, you know, we, we've, I, I think we, we've restrained, refrained from that. I believe Luke, you know, we didn't, but maybe it's our turn to, to lie a little bit as well. So I, I once had a, president of a company tell me I would never make a, a sales guy because I was too honest, but uh, maybe that's, that's changing a little bit. But the other thing is we, we need to make better use, David, of our podcast and our technical, technical notes, I think, because they can be a great asset to a customer, but not only an asset, but let the customer know what we're talking about. So. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, we've tried to log them on our website and send them out in emails as well too, because right. Yeah. Part of, part of what we're trying to do at Eagle Eye is be that go-to source for education and, and knowledge on all things DC power related. So yeah, I, I mean, it sounds like, yeah, the, the manpower issue is an interesting one. You know, I don't know if that is, if that's determined by cost or it's just a, it's just an, a gap in the, in the workforce, which I think is, is seen across a lot of industries. So that, yeah, that's definitely something that monitoring can, can really assist with. And obviously compliance, we're trying to get our, our finger on the pulse of what, what exactly can we offer from a a TPL compliance solution, whether it's chargers and batteries or monitoring and, and all of that. So, yeah. And then it all, it all comes back to grid reliability, of course, too. So it's, it's a good thing. The term for what you just described is, you know, called financial engineering. So they, you know, it's no longer the the guy that's in charge of operations responsible for that budget. It's the, the guy who's in charge of the budgets for the whole company. But anyway, the other thing I think we can do is, you know, our service techs are done getting trained in safety at the moment. Great thing, couldn't have happened sooner. But anyway, you know, put out something there like, you know, service techs, that they're NERC trained, that they're, you know, trained in TPL compliance, things like that. I don't see too many companies doing that. They might say that they're NERC qualified or IEEE qualified. I don't even know what IEEE qualified means because, you know, IEEE just doesn't hand out qualifications certificates, but uh, it's just a thought. You know, we need to blow our own whistle more, I think, now that we've got that basis. And, you know, as, as you guys saw down in BATCON, you know, we do have recognition. We do have recognition in the industry. And it took a long time to get that. And we need to capitalize on that. 
Yeah, I totally yep. agree. Now that we have kind of, especially when we go and do an initial battery monitoring install, you know, we have now Brandon who specializes in running a pilot program and he does an ex excellent job with the customer, kind of walks them through the software, explains to them what they're seeing and kind of why. So yeah, you're right, George. And then we can always get you guys involved from the technical aspect. So it's a, it's a great one-two punch and, and can really, I think, take it along. Give the customer a lot of feeling of security once they actually have an experience or they go through the pilot. It, pretty much every single time, we're now getting this great response after like, wow, this is really enlightening and we found a great value here, kind of looking to take that next step. So I think by having a true designated someone that's just on the pilot side of things and, and making sure that we answer all the questions, because that's what we found is there's more questions than answers after that first round, but you need to really see that through and kind of educate the customer. That's just the beginning. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think I've been on a visit yet where, you know, we start going through all of our different services and portfolio of products and, you know, some things might hit the mark. Maybe someone's solely interested in a BMS system and not a digital hydrometer. But at the end, when we wrap up and we ask whether or not they're interested in education, I haven't been on a visit yet where utility hasn't nodded their head yes to that. I mean, they're all yearning for education and they're learning to be trained, you know, by people who are technical in this industry. So that's been very consistent across the board is there's, there's people wanting to learn and we have something to offer there. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. The education set, sets us up to, to be just a lot more than just a product provider. All right, guys. So where do you see the rest of the year going? How do you see it playing out? I know that there's a, a lot of irons in the fire. There's a lot of pilot systems out there working on these, on getting all of these compliance solutions rolled out for, for our customers. And then we've also got all the things we talked about with, with renewables, electrification, as we look towards possibly energy storage solutions. Where do you, where do you kind of see the market evolving um, as, the, as the rest of the year plays out and, and beyond? Yeah, Andrew kind of touched on the TPL codes. You know, that's, that's kind of starting to become a little bit of a hot topic. The, the TPL has not been around nearly as long as like the NERC PRC-05. So now guys are trying to interpret that. I mean, I think that again, could be another talking point, you know, the interpretation of the TPL code specifically and how it reads and, and what they need to do to be compliant, the redundancy across their strings and how that all works. So I think that's kind of a, a talking point that the utilities are trying to wrap their heads around. You know, we're talking only, there's not going to be a major change of something in here in the next six months, but more and more of the utilities are, are definitely kind of gravitating towards the, the BMS and the battery monitoring on their systems and just seeing how we just continue to roll that out. Sometimes some customers might have a, you know, a super aggressive, hey, we want to do X amount next year. Then other ones kind of slow play it over a 10, 12 year period. So trying to work through that with the customers and understanding the best practice for them. You know, obviously in the perfect scenario, you have a battery monitor that's installed on, on a new battery string. But when you have aging fleets of how do you kind of dive in and what's the best practice there? So that's again, where we're kind of trying to be an educator and looking at it, you know, the nice thing is we look at that battery before we even do the install to determine if it even warrants the, the investment. Now you can repurpose the monitoring, which is really nice and clear the hard drive and reuse it, but there's still an installation cost and a time factor that we like to always be mindful of. So 
again, just trying to look at their entire database and kind of picking out, you know, maybe the most remote locations or different areas where they're most critical and, and just making sure that we do a good job of kind of partnering with them. But, you know, the next six months, I don't see much changing there other than just kind of continuing to move forward with different pilots and, and standardizing with our equipment. Just a couple of brief comments. You asked the, the way ahead. Having run a company for the best part of 10 years, a, a similar type company, one thing I get concerned about is growing too big too fast. And uh, okay, so we, we either use a shotgun approach and try and do everything, or, or we just think, you know, what are we best at? And, uh, you know, the two big things that are coming at us are, at, are lithium batteries. You know, we probably have to sell them, but I wouldn't say that's the way, the way of the future. I don't think they're going to be around in a couple of years. And the other thing is energy storage. Everybody's getting into energy storage. And we'd be lucky if we even got to bid on some of them because, you know, the, the manufacturers are bidding direct, you know, to the state of California or whatever. So do we want to put a lot of effort into that so certainly the things we're good at i i know george would disagree with me about the lithium or some things like that but you know we can't we can't be everything to everybody you know that's coming from experience so yeah, Brian, what's your thoughts on that yeah I'm, I'm actually happy that you brought that up you know i was thinking about this initially and just in terms of the way that you know luke was with you know, TPL and how we're kind of responding to that. But, you know, behind the scenes without revealing too much, those are conversations that, you know, David and myself and Luke and Andrew and Ryan are having consistently just about wh where do we want to be and who do we want to be, you know, within that market. And we got to make sure that while all these exciting things are happening, that we don't have scope creep that kind of takes us out of, of being an expert with the people that, you know, we want to work with. You know, and right now we're doing business in a lot of different industries, but our, our core focus has and likely will continue to be utilities. That's that's just where we want to be experts within. And we've got a, a, a good role within that market. And I think that as we look at the next six months, we want to continue to just make sure that we're supporting that to the fullest and that we don't let other things distract us from that. And, and I know David's front and center on that too. I'm not sure if you have anything you want to add to that, David, at all. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. We're we're definitely being very, very intentional on who we are targeting and will continue to target and making sure that we are serving those customers as, as good as we possibly can to the best of our ability and providing that unique value that we know we can offer those specific customers. And and to your point, Alan, you're absolutely right. Before we get involved with, with other products and other markets, we are, we are very careful in, in vetting those opportunities to make sure that it, it falls within where we know we can provide that value and, and be that consistent expert and partner that our, that our customers need us to be. But we'll get there. We'll get there in the future. I mean, we're going to continue to, to grow and evolve and, and look at these new emerging markets and, and it's exciting. But we'll definitely take our time getting there and make sure we, we don't spread ourselves too thin in the process. Yeah, energy storage, I think, you know, when I talk to guys in that field, they, you know, they kind of talk about it like it was when it was the Cellcom 
boom yeah. from the, the, the 90s. And it's kind of the Wild West is what they say. So maybe we don't play in it directly as trying to be a provider, but I think we could probably look into it on the education side and, and make sure and train people on best practices and how to properly you know, maintain those sites and keep them safe. So I think there's definitely a play for us in the industry to some degree, whether we play in it, try to be a full supplier, that's one thing, but the training and the education side and best practices kind of on how they should maintain an aging site is something I think we will definitely see ourselves involved in some capacity in the future. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of, you know, enticing things out there, a lot of shiny objects, and it doesn't mean that we're not going to look at them or review them, but we, we need to almost over review them to some capacity because it's just opportunity cost. Anytime that we, you know, you know, deviate focus from what we're really, really good at and review something else, we just need to make sure that it's the right opportunity for us. And like, like David said, that was a great word. We're being very intentional over the next six months. The great news about this is, is that as we review everything, we're only going to increase our, our, our own brand awareness and further define the areas that we are really, really strong in. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm happy that you brought this topic up, Alan. All right, guys. Well, any final thoughts, Andrew or Alan, about this, any of these topics we've been discussing? I think we've, I think we've talked enough about enough things, and it'd be interesting to have one of these meetings, maybe every three months or so. Maybe get George involved, and uh, no, he's he he has his finger on the pulse. It's the wrong pulse, though. But anyway, the uh, you know you know where it. Where I'm coming from, Luke. But anyway, I, I think I think we're doing the, some of the right things. I'm glad that you know we realize we we just can't sell ourselves. You know, we have to sell ourselves. We just can't expect customers to come and come and you know make that phone call. And uh, I, I admire a lot what Andrew's doing and the other fellows out in the field. And I look forward to having a northeast or mid Atlantic or east coast sales manager. I think because you know. There's not a lot of business here because a lot of business is already taken, but some parts of it, especially the Carolinas, Florida, is ripe for you know, getting some good competition in there. And, uh, you know, we've got to be very, other thing we've got to be very careful of is pricing. You know, we don't want to get into a bidding war, obviously, but we don't want to get in going after the same thing that, say, Enesis or C&D is going after because, you know, they're going to win based on price. And uh, we've got to educate People that you know, you know, prices and everything. Well, I was just gonna say, in, in closing summary from my end, kind of what I've, what I've been seeing within the company and, and with our clients from from the west side of the business is, what can we do to best help clients? Is the question that we've always asked ourselves, and and really a lot of that is, what is our expertise as a company? And first and foremost, we're a battery monitoring company. We've always been business to consumer direct has been our business model. Over the past year to two years, we've really branched out from that, from building our service group out, building our training group out, and really expanding what we can do and how we can do it for clients. Part of that expansion is looking at things that we're doing like right now is building just a, a tremendous database for our clients to do self-performance. That, that's something that sometimes comes up. A lot of our utility clients prefer that we do all of the service work for them. 
However, there are occasions where certain regions, certain utilities dictate that they do that. So how can we be the best partner and give them the best experience for them to go out and do self-performance? One thing we're also looking at that we've touched on a bunch is we felt that we have a great solution, but we've not always been able to directly present and put that in front of the client. There's often been middlemen who already have business or have certain contracts that we've had to work through. So we put a lot of effort as an entity to get out there in the field, really educate our clients on who we are, what we can do, and the value that we can bring them to a direct business model. And, and part of that, we've really started to expand even our Eagle Eye University. We're looking at putting on regional events where clients within a specific 700 mile range can come and get training at a location that's convenient to them in the local utility market and be tuned highly towards that specific market, whether it's in the West, the South or the East as, as Alan alluded to. So I think as a company, when, when we talk about, we've really been looking internal to growing in the right way with the right partners in the right market segments. I think that's what we've really been doing from, from our end. And then we put a lot of effort into continuing that best experience for our clients and, and how that's going to go looking forward. So I think, you know, what does the rest of the year, of the year look like? We, we've got a lot of pilot programs. We've got several large utilities that are mid rollout or beginning rollouts that will continue on this year. We've got a ton of utilities that are looking at how they're going to integrate this in 2024. So building towards that and then a lot of the, the training out there for clients and, and a lot of our service group. We just spent the, a week in the Colorado region, had our service team out there with us and, and really doing a lot of unified meetings with clients, a lot of site walks and different ways that we can bring them value. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you guys for, for joining today's DC Power Hour. And like Alan said, we'll have to touch base again later on in the year and see what you guys are up to, but really appreciate the conversation and, and the time. So thank you very much. We hope you can join us next time. And in the meantime, if you have any questions for the Battery Blarney Duo or anything else you want us to discuss in next week's episode, please email us at info at eepowersolutions.com. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you then.